Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good morning, LBCF family. I'm so happy to be here and and share with you this morning. Um, man, I just have this overwhelming, just overwhelming sense of the Holy Spirit's presence um, in our community, where we are at, in our homes, um, with our friends and with our family right now. Um, yeah, it is. I, it feels really, really powerful, like a really powerful morning to me. Um, as you know, as, as has been said, um, we're we're going through the book of Hebrews um, today. Um, I I had my 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 sermon title this morning. I wanted to kind of keep in line or keep in theme with sort of what became my unofficial theme the last time I spoke, which was the, these are the Lord's chips, uh, and so. Aptly named today, uh, today's message is titled Christ Rap Supreme. Um, I apparently just really love Mexican food. Um, it is like my love language. Um, but, you know, all joking and all, all silliness aside, this, this scripture today really has, has really been on my heart, has really been uh, convicting me and really shaping the way that I... Um, engage in my faith on a, on a practical level. Uh, and, and, uh, yeah, it's been really convicting me of my own personal life in ways that I did not anticipate. I did not expect. Um, and I've really kind of been forced through this to reflect on how I hold things, um, hold things that I believe to be true in my life. Um, and so I'm, I'm really eager to explore this, and I, I hope that um, we can really dive deep into what Hebrews is having us um, examine today. So um, as Mary touched on already, Hebrews is a really unique book itself. Um, so I, I want to take us on a, a sort of a macro level overview examination of the book and then um, apply it to our lives. And so it, it's unique in the sense that we don't know who wrote it and we don't know who is reading it. Um, we have, you know, theologians and biblical scholars believe have different reasons to believe it could be Paul. It could be um, his students like Apollos or Barnabas who were, um, who wrote. Um, we, we know it was sort of possibly written around the age of Paul um, before he passed away. Um, but there are certain things that we can infer, and we do know from the text itself. We can infer uh, and know that the author uh, himself um, did not necessarily have direct relationship with Jesus, but did in fact know firsthand the disciples of Jesus. Um, and also the author himself knew the readers of Hebrews and knew the audience of Hebrews very deeply, very intimately, so much so that he even wrote in, in the book that he longed and desired to be reunited with them um, again. And so the way that the text reads is very intimate knowledge and a very intimate um, 
relationship between author and audience. And the author of the text, author, the author of Hebrews, um, knowing intimately the audience of Hebrews, begins to weave into the text a lot of Old Testament text and references because he knows and assumes that the audience has very thorough knowledge of the Old Testament law, the Torah, um, and that they have very thorough knowledge of that long weaving narrative of the Old Testament, starting with Abraham and the nation of Israel, getting the Mosaic law, the Torah, the covenant, the priests and sacrifices and the wandering through the wilderness and just that whole narrative story of the Old Testament. And so as we begin to examine Hebrews um, and the way that the author addresses the audience, we begin to see how the audience's knowledge of the Old Testament and their knowledge and understanding of the narrative story of the Old Testament has become so elevated and so ingrained into the importance of their lives, so much so that they hold it in such high regard and high esteem. Things like the Abrahamic and the Mosaic laws, the priests, the sacrifices, all of these things have become so fundamental and so paramount and tantamount to the core of who the audience is and how they relate to Jesus and how they relate to God, that it has been ingrained in their identity. And so the Old Testament law and the Torah have become so important and have shaped their core so much that they begin to hold these things in such high regard that they become almost the most important things in their lives. And so it's one of the reasons why I chose the text today, uh, which was Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, which is what we just opened up with, right? Because the author begins to set the stage for um, something that is so important for us and for, for the audience of Hebrews, right? And I love what he writes and what he opens up with. And so I'm going to read it again for us. And he opens up Hebrews with, with the words that we read earlier today. I'm going to read it again. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And this is key, this next phrase. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Right off the get-go, from the very beginning, the author of Hebrews is making it very clear and very important about the supreme nature and the supreme goodness that is Christ Jesus. I, I love the visual um, that um, the Bible Project by, by Tim Mackey uh, paints with this. He, he takes this this phrase, the radiance of God, the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature, right? And he 
he puts it into a visual representation where the radiance of God's glory is like if God was the sun, then Jesus is the rays of light that emanate from the sun itself. And if God is a signet ring, then Jesus is the wax seal to that signet ring. That the radiance of God's glory and the imprint of the perfect imprint, the exact imprint of God's nature, that you cannot have one without the other, that they are not separate, they are the same, and that they are one, and that Jesus, because of that radiance of God's glory and the imprint of God's nature, the author is elevating Jesus to God and making a a case at the supremacy of who God is and who Jesus is. And so he sets this stage at the very beginning of Hebrews uh, and is, again, making this case for the supremacy of Christ because he wants to compare and contrast to the audience the supremacy of Christ as he relates to the things that the audience is holding in such high regard and high esteem. And so Hebrews, right, the author of Hebrews then lays out a series of comparisons. Four sections, really, where the book is broken up into, where Christ is compared to all of these four major components that are are part of the the Hebrew faith and and the Hebrews of the time, right? So chapters one through two, the author is really comparing the supreme supremacy or supreme nature and supreme goodness of Christ to the angels, right? That based in the old Mosaic law and Hebrews held angels in such high regard because of the ingrained belief and, and the value or the, the, the idea of the angels being the ones who gave Moses the Ten Commandments on the top of Mount Sinai. And they hold angels in such high regard, and yet the author is making the supreme nature and the supreme goodness of Christ greater than all the angels. And he's equating God, God's word to the supreme nature and the supreme goodness that is Christ. And then in chapters 3 and 4, he goes on and he makes the same comparison of Christ to Moses and the promised land. And that the same way that Moses built the tabernacle and that that was a sign of God coming to earth and being with with his people. And that that was a sign of uh, a promise for the promised land and delivering Israelites to the promised land. The author of Hebrews then makes the comparison and says that Christ is God, that Christ comes to earth, and that he is offering a greater promise to rebuild and build the world. And he's comparing the tabernacle to the world and Moses to Christ, and he's elevating Christ far above, and the supreme goodness of Christ far above that which the Hebrews knew in context at the time. And in 5 and 7, he does the same comparisons to priests. And he elevates Christ as the eternal priest. uh, That his word and his goodness and his nature, being the radiance of the glory of God and the 
imprint of God's nature, he is our eternal priest. And how much greater is his word and his goodness than the priests of the Old Testament? And then we move on in chapters 8 through 10. He is elevating Christ's sacrifice that he came to earth in humility and sacrifice and offered himself as, as an eternal, perfect sacrifice in stark contrast to the daily or the weekly ritualistic sacrifices of the Old Testament law. And in all of these cases, the author is using the supreme nature, the supreme goodness, the supreme mercy and divine nature of who Jesus Christ is, and he is elevating that to a point where he is saying, let us look beyond the things that we ourselves are holding so dear and holding so high and in high regard and high esteem. And let's look beyond that and say, how can we look to the supreme nature and supreme goodness of Christ, that who reigns and who is greater than all of these? How can we look through and see the supreme goodness of Christ in these things in our lives? And know that the way that we enter into our relationship with our world and what we hold in such high regard is done so as we relate to Christ. And he's making this supreme case or this case for the supreme nature. And the author does this in with intent because of the relationship that he had with the audience the author is speaking directly to the contextualized components of what his audience held so dearly right that he is using the things that are are in such great context to the culture of the time that he is comparing christ and relating the supreme nature and goodness of Christ to the context of the culture of the time. And he's challenging his audience because he loves them and has an intimate relationship with them. And so he is comfortable with entering into this challenge and addressing the, the desire to elevate Christ's supremacy and the nature of who God is and who Christ is by comparing that. And so using that same premise today, using the premise of the author challenging his audience by comparing the nature, the supreme goodness, right, uh, of Christ and challenging the notion that his audience was, they were wrapping their identity in these things of their culture in that in that time and saying to look beyond that and find the supreme goodness of Christ in that right i want to challenge us as well and so i want to use that premise and i want to apply the same premise to today and today's context and today's time and i i want to start with me, because I want to go back to what I was saying at the very beginning, is that this scripture uh, has been really challenging for me uh, because I have felt very convicted in this. Um, I 
I have been noticing within myself this desire, um, like to to dig in my heels, right? To stand my ground, to to be stubborn, you know, to to be stubborn in such a way where I refuse to acknowledge any fault or any wrong in certain things, and. Um, I have been noticing, even in myself, that um, this has been playing out um, in key relationships, right, with friends, um, with family. Um, but the hard, uh, the hardest one for me was acknowledging that this has been playing out in my relationship with my wife, um, and I've been noticing that I have been elevating my desire to be right. Uh, and that I have, I have been focused on holding things that I hold to be true in such high esteem and high regard without, without really seeing how Christ is supreme and the goodness of Christ is supreme and working in and through those things in my life. Um, and I found in myself uh, that I th it, it, it's deeply rooted in fear, uh, fear of being wrong, but more so in fear of the fact that if I'm wrong, um, then I'm not worthy um, and I'm not good enough. And that if I'm, if I'm not, if I'm wrong, then I don't have anything to offer. And, um, and that's a lie. And I'm, and, and so, yeah, I just, this, this text has really, really been convicting me because I have been noticing that I am wrapping my identity up in something other than the supreme goodness of Christ, who is greater than all, who is the radiance of God's glory, who is the perfect imprint of God's nature, right? And, and I, want, I want to challenge us as a community and... Ultimately, I'm going to challenge you personally in, in this same way, right? I want to challenge our community to explore ways where we, LBCF, and a broader church community, the big church, could possibly be holding tightly to things that we are wrapping our church identity up in that is not necessarily fully exploring the supreme goodness that is Christ. Right? So church, LBCF, how have we held things in such high regard or high esteem? How have we wrapped our church's identity so tightly that there's fear of losing what we thought we had or losing uh, or fear and losing what we might have in the future, right? 
So perhaps our church identity has become so wrapped, tightly wrapped in a desire to have or need a lead teaching pastor. Or even further, perhaps we've had our church identity so tightly wrapped up in a need or a desire to have a lead male teaching pastor. Right? Rather than being wrapped up in the supreme goodness of Christ. Perhaps our church identity is so tightly wrapped up in this belief or desire that we are only a church community if and when we gather in a physical building on a Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. Rather than being united in the unifying bond that is the supreme goodness of Christ Jesus. Right? I want to take it a step further, and, and I want to challenge you now individually Right, and I, I want to, I want to invite you to explore this within your own lives as well, because this is really important, church. This is really important, family. That you, I want you to explore where you have personally wrapped your identity up in something so tightly that is not necessarily the supreme goodness or the supreme nature, the radiance of God's glory, and the perfect imprint of. God's nature, that is Christ Jesus. Perhaps you're more concerned with your own political party and presidential candidate, or rather more concerned with the other party or presidential candidate than, than wrapping your identity so tightly in, in the goodness and the supreme nature that is Christ Jesus. Perhaps you're more concerned and find yourself more concerned with the pursuit of wealth, health, fortune, status through the pursuit of your advancing career than wrapping your identity so tightly in the supreme goodness and nature of God's glory that is Jesus Christ. Or maybe you've wrapped your identity so tightly with this notion that you can earn your way to heaven through the self-sacrificial good works in the name of Jesus, so that you can receive the recognition of your good works from others. And you're more concerned with that than wrapping your identity so tightly in the supreme goodness of Christ Jesus. Right? I want to challenge us to really reflect on who are we wrapping our identity in? And what are we wrapping our identity in? Is it something in a cultural context of our world that we hold in such high regard and high esteem? Or are we wrapping our identity in the goodness and the supremacy of Christ that is greater than all of that? And I need to be very clear with this. And I need to be very clear and I need to make sure that you hear what I am not saying, okay? I am not saying that any of these things are bad. It is not wrong to want or desire to have a lead pastor or a lead male pastor. It's not wrong to desire to meet regularly on Sunday mornings at church. It's not wrong to be involved in politics or have a political worldview. It is not wrong 
to want to pursue or advance your career or desire to be healthy or have uh, money, right? It's not wrong to do the work of Jesus in Jesus's name. I'm not saying any of these things are wrong or worth doing or worth pursuing. But what I am saying is that when we tie our individual personal identities to the things outside of the supreme goodness of Christ Jesus, we are only then attuned to a very small part of our identity, that our whole identity is wrapped up in the supreme nature and the supreme goodness of Christ Jesus. And that when we wrap our identity in these things individually, we are only participating in one small little blip or one small little piece that is our identity in Christ. And that we wrap and are united in the the supreme goodness of Christ Jesus that transforms and unites because Christ is so much better than all of it. And he unites us under his kingdom where we are called to wrap our identities in the supreme goodness of Christ, who is, and you need to hear this, who is the radiance of the glory of God and the perfect imprint of God's nature. That Christ is God and reigns supreme above all. And when we wrap our identity in him, we can then enter into the, aspects of our world with a lens and a view of the supreme goodness and nature of God that unites us all and how we relate with our world today. And so we wrap our identities in Christ. And so I want to challenge you and I want to leave you with this. Where in your life have you found that you are wrapping your identity so tightly in something other than the supreme nature and the supreme goodness of Christ. Because when you enter into your identity that is found in Christ Jesus, you can then enter into the aspects of our world that will bind us together under the banner that is Christ Jesus. Christ is greater than all of it. And it's not that we we don't enter into the parts of our lives and the parts of our world, but we, we do so by inviting Christ into that, knowing full well that we have already been rooted and wrapped up in the identity that is Christ Jesus. And that's hard. That's very hard. And... Yeah, it's good. It's very good. Um, So, in the same way that we are invited into the unity that binds us together in the supreme goodness of Christ, we are also invited to practice this in very practical ways. And one such way that we are invited to practice this unity and and entering into the identity of the supreme goodness of Christ is by taking communion with one another. So if you, at this time, would take 
your bread and take your wine or your bagel and coffee or donut and soda or whatever it is that you have chosen to use as your communion. Um, and I, I just want to speak a blessing over the elements and pray that Lord, may you bless these, may that these be a reminder of your goodness and may these be a reminder of your good supreme nature that we can tie our identities to. And so I'm going to read from Matthew 26 verses 26 through 29 this morning. And I want to invite you to enter into the story. And that as I read, I want you to try to imagine yourself in the room where Jesus is speaking directly to you. Um, and I want you to partake of the elements in the same moments that Jesus commands. So as I read, when you hear Christ Jesus say, take the bread, I would like you to invite you to eat the bread just as if Christ is speaking directly to you. And when he says, drink of the cup, I want you to drink of the cup as if Christ is speaking directly to you. And I want you to use this as a time of reflection and sitting in the supreme goodness of Christ's mercy for us. So let's read together. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, we just come before you so humbled, and so grateful that you reign supreme in all of your radiance of God's glory and that you are the perfect imprint of God's nature and that you reign above all and you invite us into the identity that is found in you. Father, you are so good <clears throat> and we are so thankful for your grace and your mercy. We are so thankful for your sacrifice. We're so thankful that we get to be united together in the kingdom of God and that you reconcile us to you through your work of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray that you would bless us as we go, bless us in our time together, bless us with our time with friends and family, but most importantly, Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless us as we work to, to find the areas of our identity 
where we can be more deeply wrapped up in the supreme goodness of your being and who you are. And so, Father, we pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.